Welcome to Polly Wanna Podcast, a polyamory podcast. We're about to curse and talk about sex. A lot. So don't say that I didn't warn you. I'm your host, Britt Bosacek. I'm not a professional, I'm not an expert, and I'm not a unicorn. Enjoy the show. You might notice something a little different about the show. And that's everything. I haven't recorded in so long and I've really been missing doing the podcast and I've been missing you guys so much. I've been really lucky to be focusing on some live shows and moving and working full time and tragically becoming an adult. Um, But now I'm getting back on that grind. I feel like winter is kind of my more introverted kind of like artsy season and then in the summer I get extroverted and do shows so maybe someday I'll figure it out but I just wanted to kind of like give you guys an update on how I've been doing um I started a shitposting group on Facebook which has really been probably the peak of my experience as a polyamorous person it's called this is not the polyamory exposure that I wanted so it's kind of like a tag group really And if you don't know what any of those words mean, then congratulations. Um, So now every time I see like a really toxic post that's like shitting on polyamory, I can be like, hey, this is not the polyamory exposure that I wanted. And most of the time, it's not even something like intentionally shitting on polyamory. It's just like really poor examples of polyamory in the media, which I understand that I am probably one of those and I'm sorry, okay? Um, let's go look at the post. So the reason I brought it up was just because it's fun to like have a place to, um, talk about memes with like polyamorous people and polyamorous supporters. And it just feels like it's really normalizing polyamory. Okay. So in the group, I like tag it on stuff, but also people share stuff in it and it's always like super good. Cute. This one is, um, this girl on top of another girl right you with me and the girl that's on top is applying makeup pretty aggressively to the girl that she's on top of and so that girl is labeled me which you know accurate and then the girl under her um, is labeled my monogamous friends and acquaintances and then the makeup that she's holding says um, internet polyamory propaganda There's also someone in here that just makes really good memes. Anyway, you'd probably have to join the group, whatever. I'm not trying to get you to join the group. I just want you to be able to know what the fuck I'm talking about. So that's our Brit Describes a Meme segment, which was horrific. Um, Thank you guys for listening. I'm really excited to present you with some new stuff because I've been um, kind of permitting a little bit and creating stuff I have a lot of really cool stuff to show you and the format of the show is going to change a lot there's not as many interviews so there's a lot more kinds of content and a lot of different stuff and I hope that you still like it and um, I can't wait to hear your feedback please don't talk about how I talked about memes for so long in your feedback but any other kind of feed because I know that I did that and I know I'm not I'm not proud of it. Just don't, don't at me. Okay. Now, uh, here's an advertisement.
guess who made a Patreon? I did. I'm really excited. Uh, it's not just for the podcast. It's for everything that I do. So the Patreon is Brit Vosicek. And that means that you get content from Sell Your Body Show. You get content from my sex poetry, Alter Ego, Astra Adara. And you get content, uh, Polly Wanna Podcast After Dark, which is just about group sex, which I'm really excited about. And for just $1 a month, um, you get a love letter from me and a newsletter with all the content that I've been making for all of my various activities. And so to entice you to give me $1 a month to send you love letters, I'm going to read you one. So they're not just about love, they're about different kinds of love and exploring those. And this one is called Dear Crush. Here's the thing. I'm probably not going to do anything about it. If I did, I'd be just as elated as I'd be embarrassed. How do I watch you without creeping you out? How do I keep my cool? I'm giddy all the time. I see your profile photo and my heart jumps. Why? Why does my heart jump? A crush is just love that doesn't exist yet. The potential energy stuck in my cheek and my mouth just waiting for the right moment to... Let's be honest. The right moment to work up the courage to go up to my best friend and say, look at this amazing human. I have such a huge crush on them. So crush, here's my love letter. Not a confession of love for you, but a far more vulnerable confession of my love for the idea of you. A confession of the life we have in my head that may never come to be, unless it does come to be. Wouldn't that be nice if it did? Love letter. And now for a moment of non-monogamous history with Catherine Way, a desperate attempt to get my mom to believe that polyamory isn't just a passing fad. Ancient Romans had a common practice of memorializing their dead by inscribing epitaphs in stone and marble to hang up in public. These would tell the story of someone's dearly departed loved one, usually mentioning their accomplishments, their jobs, their family. Some were kind of silly and irreverent and jokey, and some were really sad and sweet, and most were pretty similar to modern-day eulogies. A particularly famous epitaph was found in 1912 on a marble tablet in Rome. It's relatively long, which wasn't unusual, but the content of the eulogy itself certainly was for the time. Alia Patestis was a woman who lived in the city of Perugia, modern-day Italy, sometime between the 1st and 3rd century AD. She was a freed woman, an ex-slave who was liberated by her patron and partner named Alice, who is probably the dude who actually wrote the epitaph. Her name, Potestus, meant power in Latin, and it was a common translation of the Greek name Dynamis, which also meant power, so most scholars think that she is of Greek descent for that reason. 
I love that her last name means power because she was quite a woman from what we hear. Here is the full English translation of her epitaph. To the gods of the dead, the tomb of Alice's freedwoman, Alia Potestis. Here lies a woman from Perugia. None was more precious than she in the world. One so diligent as she had never been seen before. Great as you were, you are now held in a small urn. Cruel arbiter of fate and harsh Persephone, why do you deprive us of good and why does evil triumph, everyone asks. I'm tired of answering. They give me their tears, tokens of their goodwill. She was courageous, chaste, resolute, honest, a trustworthy guardian. Clean at home, also clean when she went out, famous among the populace. She alone could confront whatever happened. She would speak briefly and so was never reproached. She was the first to rise from the bed and last to return to her bed to rest after she had put each thing in its place. Her yarn never left her hands without good reason. Out of respect, she yielded place to all. Her habits were healthy. She was never self-satisfied and never thought of herself as a free woman. Her skin was white, she had beautiful eyes, and her hair was gold. An ivory glow always shone from her face. No mortal, so they say, ever possessed a face like it. The curve of her breasts was small on her snow-white bosom, and her legs, such as the guise of Atalanta upon the stage. In her anxiety, she never stayed still, but moved her smooth limbs, beautiful with her generous body. She sought out every hair. Perhaps one may find fault with her hard hands. She was content with nothing but what she did for herself. There was never a topic she thought she knew well enough. She remained virtuous because she never committed any crime. While she lived, she so guided her two young lovers that they became like the example of Pylades and Orestes. One house would hold them both and one spirit. But now that she is dead, they will separate, and each is growing old by himself. Now instance damage what such a woman built up. Look at Troy to see what a woman once did. I pray that it be right to use such grand comparisons for this lesser event. These verses for you, your patron, whose tears never end, writes in tribute. You are lost, but never will be taken from his heart. These are the gifts he believes the lost will enjoy. After you, no woman can seem good. A man who has lived without you has seen his own death while alive. He carries your name and gold back and forth on his arm, where he can keep it possessing potestus. As long as these published words of ours survive... So long will you live in these little verses of mine. In your place, I have only your image as solace. This we cherish with reverence and lavish with flowers. When I come with you, it follows an attendance. But to whom, in my visiting, can I trust a thing so venerable? If there ever is anyone to whom I can entrust it, I shall be fortunate in this alone now that I have lost you. But, woe is me, you have won the contest. My fate and yours are the same." The man who tries to harm this tomb dares to harm the gods. Believe me, this woman, made famous by this inscription, has divinity. So, a few notes on this amazing memorial of an even more amazing woman. 
So it was already unusual for sexual content to appear in epitaphs. There were references to sex and baths and feasts and wine, but more so in a way that kind of talked about partying generally in a philosophical way, like partying rules and it's a great reason to live or, you know, like this guy liked to party or this girl could really hold her liquor. Not we loved our dead girlfriend's tiny nipples so much and we'll miss them forever. Like, first of all, bring back the trend of eternally memorializing how much you love your girlfriend's cool tits, okay? Like, I would love to be remembered that way. And when he spoke of her smooth limbs and how she sought out every hair, that meant that Alia was a diligent depilator, so she plucked out body hair and she kept that shit tight. And I love that it's not framed as vanity, but as virtue, when even today, typically feminine portrayals of curated self-image like that are characterized as negative, like how the super misogynistic derision of selfie culture and people being really dismissive of women who take selfies instead of like being empowered or confident they're seen as vain. But no, like this author is praising her and I find that really significant and powerful. I think that there's a common misconception that the Romans were particularly purient, what with the wine and the orgies and whatnot. People visit or they learn about Pompeii and they think it was a sexy, racy place because of all the sexy, racy murals and paintings and sex work and all the dick art everywhere. And to be fair, there's a lot of dick art, okay? There's a lot of dongs, but... That was more indicative of Rome being a very masculine society than it was a sex-obsessed society. The Romans weren't total prudes, but they had societal norms and traditions that are actually pretty similar to modern-day America. Marriage was only ever legal between one man and one woman. But there's also evidence that non-monogamy wasn't so unusual or frowned upon that it was persecuted or punished or that you had to hide it in public. In Pompeii, there was a wall painting on a changing room in one of the baths dated to around 79 BC, and it shows two men and a woman having sex. So, I mean, threesomes were as fun then as they are now. I'm really moved by the author's specific description of Alia as chaste, because Roman women were expected to be exactly like Alia is described, hardworking, doting, dutiful, and specifically chaste. And she was chaste, just within the limits of her non-monogamous relationship structure. And I think that that's an element of polyamory that is really misunderstood or overlooked today. And not to say that chastity is in any way superior or indicative of character, but a lot of monogamous people don't see how completely loving and devoted non-monogamous relationships can be. Those are traits that are really usually just assigned to monogamous relationships, but that is simply not the case. And finally, I want to point out that the author compares himself and the other unnamed man to Pylades and Orestes, two men from Greek mythology that were largely known for their intense homoerotic relationship. And that's not just a progressive modern interpretation born in a classroom in college. Throughout antiquity, Pylades and Orestes were portrayed as timeless, passionate lovers, No, the myths and stories about them weren't like they were fucking all the time. 
but they were very, very close. Their story involved their just their interpersonal relationship for so long and it had a beautiful and tragic ending that inspired operas and has largely been celebrated as super gay now were alia's partners also romantically or sexually involved we don't know they could have been a v or a triad or a little bit of both just like the many polyamorous relationship structures that we see today we don't know But it's very significant that the author invoked the name of well-known gay lovers. It's incredibly significant that they all lived together under one roof and that they lived their lives openly. Epitaphs were not hidden in tombs or mausoleums. No, these were erected in public with the specific intention of being seen by anyone and everyone. All we know is that Alia Potestas loved and was loved deeply and openly by two men. She was their perfect woman. Not the perfect woman, but their, plural. For more history and comedy and polyamory and feelings, follow me, Catherine Way on Twitter at so like basically this has been non-monogamous history thank you so much Catherine Way more non-monogamy after the break so one of the things that I'm working on right now is probably one of podcasts after dark it's interviews with people about specifically group sex So if you're interested, you can pay $3 a month on Patreon and get the show. It's monthly, it's hilarious, sometimes it's gross. So if you're interested in listening to people complain about or brag about, as the case may be, my last name is V-A-S-I-C-E-K. So patreon.com slash Jones on my desk and knock me over my possession shells. I really kind of wanted to touch on um, something that we've kind of talked about on the show, which is relationship transitions. And I think there's a lot to say about the concept of an escalator relationship, which I think we could delve into more. Um, If you just look up escalator relationship, it's something that exists in monogamy too, so it's not incredibly um, obscure, but, you know, it's just the idea of having a relationship in the same order that everybody else does and everybody else is expected to. And a relationship transition is kind of used a little bit in polyamory to take place of a breakup or, like, becoming exclusive or these other changes that occur primarily in monogamy and my concern and kind of the message about that that I want to bring today is the fear that I have and the habit that I've had of using relationship transitions as an excuse to hang on to things that are toxic the feeling I have that if I de-escalate things and I just set you know, the right kind of boundary, 
that this relationship will no longer be toxic, um, which is on kind of more the evil end of the scale. But on the kind of neutral end of the scale is that you can use relationship transitions to kind of keep people in your life that are holding you back without you noticing. Um, and when I say you, I mean me, <laughs> but I'm projecting. Um, so I would like to invite, you know, polyamorous people that have kind of found themselves falling into that trap. Just re-examine whether or not you want to make a transition or you want to break up or if you need to make a transition or you need to break up. Because the thing is, breaking up is really hard and calling it a relationship transition and still getting to see each other is a nice sweet band-aid to that um but it doesn't really fix any underlying problems in the relationship that you have with that person it just changes the dynamic of the relationship um and it won't change the two of you until you have space from each other or the three of you or the four of you because we're polyamorous so please be careful with relationship transitions and if you haven't done one yet just try it it's actually pretty cool when it's healthy it's nice it's a nice thing I trust your judgment far more than my own. Thank you to the Mockingbird Network, as always. And go like Polly Wanna Podcast on Facebook, which I guess rules my life now and is who I am.